going to be considering a wide range of Scripture verses. We'll be hearing a lot from God's Word in the course of the message tonight. But the Scripture we're reading as we get started is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, and verses 15 through 21. Um, I've grabbed a copy of the Bible out of the pews, and I have it uh, beginning right at the very top of page 1,823. I'm reading just the top half of that first column. Now, just a little background. This is a, a part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he's giving practical instructions on Christian living. And one of the unique features of this part of Paul's letter is the contrast he makes repeatedly. Don't do this, but instead do this. Don't do this, but instead do this. That's the, the rhetorical style that Paul's been using throughout the last couple of chapters here in Ephesians. And we see that continue um, in our scripture as well. So we're listening for what we're not doing, but what we will do instead. Uh, before we read, let's pray. Lord, even as we have just sung, we recognize that you freely give and you do not find fault. And so, Lord, we come to you asking for wisdom, for instruction, for grace, for truth, for power, all of which we find in your word. So we ask, Lord Jesus, accompany the reading and the hearing of your word with the grace of your Holy Spirit, that it will be for us words of life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because... The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Talking to the folks going down to Mississippi, those folks standing up here in a circle tonight, my encouragement uh, for, is tonight for you, but I want us all to listen in to what God's Word has to say. In the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, he shared his final words with them that he had to, to share before he was arrested. And there is an importance to those final words, words that echoed, I'm sure, in their ears and in their minds and in their hearts for a long time to come. And in fact, that last night Jesus spent with his disciples, he'd already been teaching them for three years, they'd seen how he lived, everything about him. But in that last night he said to them, tonight I have a new command for you. And what is that new and most important thing that he was telling them? I'm going to ask another question, all leading towards the same answer. One of the things that's been talked about a great deal in the Christian church over the last hundred or so years is what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? If a person is a Spirit-filled Christian, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how does a Spirit-filled Christian lived? live? How do they live their lives? 
the same answer as the first question. Another question. As we look at the commands of the apostles, the, the writers of these letters in the New Testament, the commands they give us over and over again, what phrase comes up more than 30 times and is found in almost every New Testament book? Okay, how many of you have a bulletin tonight? And how many of you have looked at it to see the sermon of my title, the title of the sermon? That key phrase that unlocks all three of those questions, the last words of Jesus, what it means to be spirit-filled, and the command repeated again and again, especially in the New Testament, is the phrase, one another. Jesus said the last night in that upper room with his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. In fact, this command is so important that Jesus said, this is how all people will know that you are followers of me, that you are taking after my heart. They will know that you are followers of me if you love one another. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look at this passage um, from Ephesians chapter 5. It's hidden in the English. It's much plainer in the original because, anyway, nobody really likes grammar. But I'm going to give you a little bit anyway. These, this last verse, uh, verse 18 and what follows, this last set of commands, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, too much alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the English, it looks like what follows is just a series of other unconnected commands. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, one command, speak to, no, to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Another command, sing and make music. Another command, give thanks. Another command, and submit to one another. Another command. But that is not how it reads in the original letter that Paul wrote. In fact, those four last commands are all nothing more than explanations of what the first command really means. So in other words, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You sing and make music in your heart to the Lord when you are filled with the Spirit. You always give thanks to the Holy Father for everything when you are filled with the Spirit. And then again, verse 21, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, I warned you there's a lot of scripture. I've broken this up into chunks. It's too much for us to take all at once. So I'm going to give you little spurts of one another commands. Sprinkle them in. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Zechariah 7.9 Speak the truth to one another. Zechariah 8.16 Be at peace with one another. Jesus in Mark chapter 9. Wash one another's feet. We'll say more about that one. That's Jesus, John chapter 13. These scripture verses are words of, of invitation, words of instruction, commands for how we are to live. And so this is a message heavy on application. In fact, I've got three invitations for us how we can live out all these one another commands and why it matters. The first thing for us to know about living this out 
is that this is the Christian life. This is the defining feature that sets Christians apart from the world. This is unique to us through the grace given to us through Jesus Christ and the cross and the Holy Spirit. This, more than anything else, defines our Christian practice and our Christian lifestyle. Another set of commands. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. John 13, 35. In fact, that command, love one another, is so frequent in the New Testament, I couldn't um, get them all down. I love what Peter says when he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Again, echoing these words of Jesus. Or this one, Romans 12. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12 again, live in harmony with one another. Very similar to 1 Thessalonians where it says live at peace with one another. And then Romans 15, accept one another. I want to be clear, this Christian calling is not as easy as it sounds. It sounds so simple. Just do these nice things, be kind, you know, just go and be good. It's hard. It's hard to live like Jesus. The great enemy is selfishness. The words of our world are words like my, mine, and myself. I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to watch out for mine. I'm going to put myself first. Take care of me, mine. This is the cry of our world. If you don't believe this, watch pretty much any commercial, whether it's on TV or just pops up on your phone or your computer sometime. And what is the urgent encouragement of that advertising? The message behind pretty much all of them is do something for yourself. Spend money on yourself. Bless yourself. Worry about yourself. And this is everywhere in our world. This is our business climate. This is our political climate. This is our social climate. This is the world in which we live. And whether we like it or not, this soaks into us. More than just paint on the surface, this this selfishness soaks into our culture. C.S. Lewis, I think, wrote something very helpful on this and understanding the way selfishness works. He wrote that most Christians are like honest people paying their taxes. And what he means by that is we understand that God should get something, and that our neighbor should get something. We have an obligation to love God. We have an obligation to love our neighbor. We know we've got to do that, so let's do that. But when we're done doing that, Everything else is mine to do whatever I want with. Because that's the way taxes work. We know the government should get some of it, so we honest people, we want to pay what the government should get. But once we're done paying our taxes, the government shouldn't have any more say over whatever's left over because that is mine. And the tragedy is that so many of us approach Christian living this way. 
Okay, I've got to give church, I've got to give God an hour on Sunday or two hours on Sunday. I've got to, got to serve here. I've got to lead here. I've got to pray here. I've got to read my Bible here. I've got to give my neighbor this. I've got to be kind. I've got to be good. I've got to do these things fine. But when I'm done doing them, everything left over is mine. And friends, that is not the calling of the Christian life. Jesus did not come to prune a few branches away from our selfishness. He come, came to chop the whole tree down. Selfishness must die for us to love God first and to love one another as we love ourselves. Another set of verses. Encourage one another. And that's 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, and twice in Hebrews. Serve one another in brotherly love, Galatians 5.13. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Bear with one another patiently, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Second point of application. The first is that the defining feature of the Christian life is one anothering. Second point of application is that practicing this one anothering is the key to discipleship and growing in our love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, I have friends and family who have made a trip at some point in their lives to go to Israel, um, a Holy Land tour, you know, follow in the footsteps of Jesus, a variety of ministries, even in Michigan, that, that promote these trips and tours. And I know a number of people, even my in-laws, have done this. And again, the, the advertising is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can go to the, the place, places where he lived and where he preached. For example, there's a, a little um, church built in Capernaum, and it's supposedly built on the site of where Peter's house was, where Jesus began some of his earliest ministry in Galilee. And you can go there and see that. Or, or you can go to the Sea of Galilee on the other side of that lake and there's a place where there's a steep bank, only one place where there's a steep bank, and it's there that Jesus cast out that legion of demons, and you can actually walk through that area. Or you can walk in Jerusalem, and you can see the, 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 where the temple was, this place where Jesus attended the festivals, where he lived his last week. And I personally haven't been a, on a trip like this. I'd love to do it sometime. I hope I get the chance. But I've heard from others who have done it. It's an incredibly powerful experience to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. But friends, hear the cool thing. You don't have to go to Palestine or Jerusalem to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. If you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, all you have to do is to love and to serve one another. Because this is the way that Jesus walked. When we do these things, all this one anothering, encouraging, serving, praying for one another, we experience for ourselves the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. Jesus took up his cross every day and denied himself. And he says to any, all of his disciples, if you would follow me, you must take up your cross every day and deny yourself. 
And that denial of ourselves, that putting to death of our selfishness, me, mine, that is the way of Jesus. That is his footsteps. And that what it mean, that's what it means to follow him as a disciple, is to learn to walk as he walked. Another set of commands. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Ephesians 4. Think of one another ahead of yourselves. Philippians 2. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Colossians 3. Build one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5. I want to take us back again to that last night that Jesus was with his disciples. And there was a moment right at the beginning of that evening together, which included the Passover meal, where in the absence of one clear servant who was supposed to take care of them all, Jesus took the place of the servant himself, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around himself, took a basin and a water, and he washed all their feet. Listen again to part of that story from John chapter 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here in this language of one anothering, the call to imitate, to follow the example of Jesus himself. If you've ever wondered, what was Jesus like as a person? Wouldn't it have been cool to be one of the disciples and to see him and to wander around with him and to hear him? What was it like when he did miracles and changed lives? Well, those questions are all at the heart of discipleship. The desire to know Jesus better. And the answer to those questions of how we know Jesus better are found in how we one another each other. I'll give you another example of this. Imagine you um, need to have something done medically. So you go to a doctor and maybe he's got to take out your appendix or your gallbladder or do some other surgical procedure, um, tinker with a knee or a joint or something. And so you ask him, so tell me, how many of these procedures have you done? And he says, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I have watched 18 YouTube videos on how to do this. And I said, no, but how many have you actually done? Well, I studied with an incredible surgeon, and I went to every lecture that he gave. I read the book twice. So you ask him again, well, but how many have you done yourself? And all he wants to tell you is, my friends and I, we get together all the time, and we talk about this kind of procedure. Well, that wouldn't be very encouraging and inspiring. I think the tragedy sometimes of the church is that's how we handle discipleship. The call of Jesus is to walk as I have walked, love as I have loved, serve as I have served. And we get together as Christians and we watch YouTube videos and we read books and we discuss together what it would look like if we actually did these things. But, But how well do we know the heart of Jesus? Just like a surgeon doesn't learn his skill from 
hearing others. We as Christians learn the Christian life by how we love and serve and lay down our lives for one another. Third and final point of application. Treat one another this way. Do all this one-anothering stuff because by doing so, we will understand God's love for us and our own salvation at a deeper level. It helps us understand and appreciate the love of God when we live this out. There is a theme throughout Scripture that understanding that we are loved by God and the grace and forgiveness he gives us, it's not about our head and our faith and our songs and our emotions. Understanding the the love of God for us is about our lived experience. I want to give you an example of this. This is um, God and one of his good friends, a guy named Abraham. And God and Abraham had this kind of relationship where God would just drop in for lunch sometimes unannounced. And God kept on making promises to Abraham. And making promises to Abraham. And Abraham asked these questions back to God, like, God, how can you make these promises when I don't have a son? How can you say this to me when the one who will inherit my, my property is my servant Eleazar of Damascus? How, what does all this mean, God? What does it mean that you love me? What does it mean that you promise to bless me and my family? And there was words and words and words, and they didn't sink into Abraham. And then God said to Abraham, once he had his son, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and take him to the mountain I will show you. And there, offer him to me. And I think of Abraham and Isaac climbing up that mountain together. Both of them, in their own way, believing that God would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. You know the story, right? God did provide a ram caught in the thickets. It was the ram who died. Isaac lives. And Abraham walks home both fully obedient to God and yet with his son alive and the miracle that both those things can be true. What did it take for Abraham to understand the power and the grace of a God who loves him and will never let him go? Well, it took lived experience. If you want to understand what it means that you are forgiven when you don't deserve it, the invitation into that is to forgive one another when they don't deserve it. And you have to die to yourself. And you have to to give up your right for punishment and vengeance and and right to be angry and you surrender all those rights at the foot of the cross. And there at the foot of the cross you realize that God didn't have to forgive me but he chose to at great cost and I myself am loved. Paul in his letter to the Romans is reflecting on this amazing love of God And he says, God shows his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. 
Again, words, they could float around in our heads. But if you want to understand that, love somebody else when they're still not got it together, when they're still hurting you, when they're still not asking or apologizing, when they're still, when they're still not there. Love them where they're at. And lay down your life for them where they're at. And then it'll take on a whole new depth that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love what Paul writes to his friend Philemon, a letter that themes our grace and freedom and forgiveness for the slave and, and this wonderful language. And he says, Philemon, I pray for you that you will be active in sharing your faith or active in your partnership in the faith. It's a different way to translate it. The sharing of the faith. I pray that you'll be active in that. Why? So that you may know every good thing that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, friends, I could stand up here at a pulpit and I could tell you all day about the good things that God has for you in Jesus Christ and the blessings and the forgiveness and the love. But to experience them, we need to participate ourselves, the lived experience of the love of Christ. Another set of verses. This is the last one, and it's got some don'ts in it as well. Don't pass judgment on one another. Don't lie to one another. Do not slander one another, James 4. Do not grumble against one another, James 5. Consider how you may spur one another on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, James 5. Offer hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4. This is how we understand the gospel. When we take on the, the, deny, the denial of Christ and we ourselves live for him every day, then we hear his heartbeat in our own. I want to wrap up by talking to the Mississippi team again, speak a little more directly to you. I commend you for what you have already done, giving up your vacation time to serve others. Well done. But my challenge and my invitation for you is not just going, but how you go. Because the power of your witness in Mississippi will not be seen in your presence, simply the fact that you are there. The power of your witness, that you are followers of Jesus, will be in how you lay down your lives for one another and the members of your team. So every day, do the little things of kindness and courtesy for one another. And every day, do the big things of forgiving one another when you are wronged and of loving one another deeply from the heart. Let's pray together. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit, just as Paul wrote about in Ephesians. That as the Spirit is full in our lives, we will speak to one another. We will sing to you. We will always give thanks in our heart. And that we will submit to one another out of reverence for you as part of our worship. Teach us to love. Teach us to pray. Teach us to serve. Teach us to empty ourselves for the sake of our brother, our sister, our neighbor, our friend, our world. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. May the gospel's truth be seen in us 
as we die to ourselves and live for one another. Amen. This is a song of response which invites us to enter into these words, telling us who we are. Let's stand and sing, We Are God's People. It's in the blue hymnal again, 283, 283. We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4, the first and the last two of 283, 1, 3, and 4. We Are God's People. People of God, holy and dearly loved, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you his peace. Mississippi team, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Song of response. Um, The closing verse of our opening song, 276 in the blue. Christ is made the sure foundation, verse 4, the closing verse of 276, our doxology.